morning. Good morning, Kylie. Good morning. You have some announcements? They're different than last week, though. Oh, no way. Yes. Yeah. Wednesday, Wednesday, we're feeding the homeless. If you want to go, we take reusable grocery bags, fill them with food and water and drinks, and we go out to the camps and pray with them and get to know them and encourage them. The next women's Bible study is this Thursday. April 6th at 6 p.m. You're starting the book Radical Prayer. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Wow. We're on the same page. The next men's study is going to be Sunday, April 16th. It's changed from Saturday to Sunday because we had a schedule conflict. So we're going to do that after service at 1230 at Starbucks. And we're going through the book Radical Prayer also. The next youth night, Thursday, April 13th, 6 p.m. Volleyball extravaganza. <laughs> and then this is the best one of all. Not really, but the men's retreat is coming up at the end of April. Yep, get it. And they're going to be going over um, wisdom and understanding. How, what the Bible says about getting wisdom and understanding that can only come from God. So, men's retreat is amazing. <clears throat> the men's retreat is amazing. We have a marriage retreat October 13th through the 15th. The registration just opened up for that one, and that's through um, Westminster Calvary. And if you're interested in that, you got to sign up really quickly because it fills up very quickly. Where is it at? It is up in Breckenridge. So, and if you're interested in that, go to Westminster Calvary's website and sign up through that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I was like, are you looking at Matt or are you looking at Kennedy? I'm looking at Kennedy. Sign up on Westminster Calvary's website if you're interested in going. Um, I think the cost is. Three ninety nine. It's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, um, and it is well. It's always good to get away, but it fills up very fast, and they don't have very many slots open. So, if that's something you're interested in, check out their website right away. And then after that, we have email that we send out once a week. So, if you want to know what's going on, all the things coming up, uh, you can check it out on our website, thechurchne.org, or if you give me your email address, we'll send you an email once a week, and you'll know what we have coming up. So, see, was that different than last week? Yes, the men's retreat. You just added me. Well, that's the point. Okay, well, let's pray. Let's get started. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together, to learn about you, to worship you, to have a better understanding of who you are and how you work in our lives and how you love us and you care for us. And when we ask you into our life, Jesus, you never leave us. You never abandon us. You're always with us. I just ask that you would um, help us to overcome our fears and our doubts, our unbeliefs, that you would lead us closer to you, that you would speak to each one of us right where we're at. You know what each one of us is going through, that you love us and you care for us. And I just ask that you would draw us closer to you during this time. 
that your words would be spoken here today, not mine. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray all these things. Amen. So today is what a lot of people call Palm Sunday. I disagree with the term, and I'll explain why. And it's not my opinion, but I'm going to explain why from the Bible. So we're going to be in two places mostly. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19, so you put one finger there. And then we're going to be in John chapter 12. So you put another finger there. And we'll go back and forth between the two for the most part. We'll hit a couple other places quickly. But we're going to take a look. This is known as Palm Sunday. But this is really the day that we celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. He enters into Jerusalem. There's lots of celebration. Everybody's excited. Um, But in only a few days, he will be murdered on a cross. And he will die. So the people's joy and excitement will quickly turn to anger and hatred. But we'll look into that as well. So, when we look at what's known as Palm Sunday, um, there's lots of traditions in church. And I think that's where a lot of this comes from. So there's four Gospels, four accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the only gospel, all four of them, all mention this entry into Jerusalem. But the only gospel that mentions anything about palm branches is the Gospel of John. So when we look at the whole Bible, the Gospel of John, that's the only one that says anything about palm branches. So when we look at the whole Bible, we have a better understanding of what's taken place. So we're going to look at some of the events that led up to this day and some of the events that led... Um, that took place after this day. We won't look at them all because that would take like three, four hours. But we'll look at a few of them. So we get a better understanding of who Jesus is and this idea of Palm Sunday. Um, if only one of the gospel accounts mentions palm branches and the other three do not, it seems like you came up with a bad title. What the other three do mention is garments, that they laid down their garments in front of Jesus. So this should be really garment Sunday. Just saying. Not funny? (laughs) I'm just telling you, that's just what the Bible says. So Luke, we'll start in Luke chapter 19. And so, like I said, we'll go over some events that led up to this day of his entry. And then we'll talk about some of the events, not all, but some of the events after he entered Jerusalem. So Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to look at Jesus, but was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. So here we have, there's a picture of what this could look like. You have Jesus who's entering into Jericho. And then this time in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is very popular. Jesus is teaching the people. Lots of the people are receiving him. Um, and here, Matthew, or here, Zacchaeus um, wants to get a look at, at Jesus, wants to see Jesus with his own eyes. And he's shorter, so he can't see over the crowd, so he climbs a tree. 
So then continuing on, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. So Jesus knew his name because Jesus knows each and every one of us by name. He knows who we are. He knows the number of hairs on our head. So he called him by name Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the, be the guest in a notorious center, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man has come, has came to seek and save those who are lost. So Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And at this time, tax collectors, Jew, Jews who were tax collectors were despised. Because Rome had occupied Jerusalem at this time and occupied the nation of Israel. So Rome is ruling over it. So those who are collecting taxes for Rome are seen as traitors. And oftentimes they would. They would cheat people. They would collect more because that's how they got paid. They collected the taxes for Rome and then their fee was on top of that and they would charge extremely high fees and make lots and lots of money. So oftentimes they were greedy. But Jesus, like he said, he came to seek those who are lost. Um, and that was his ministry. And that's why so many people came to love him. Because he didn't come for those who thought they were righteous. He didn't come for those religious people who had all of their traditions. He came for those who were everyday people who were lost seeking a savior. And they found that savior, savior in Jesus. So while this is one of the events, he's on his way to, to Jerusalem. He is going through Jericho. He sees Zacchaeus, calls him out by name, becomes a guest in his home despite what many other people thought. So Jesus wasn't concerned about what other people think. I don't know if you get concerned about what other people think. Do you get concerned about what other people think about you? Yeah. Well, Jesus was not concerned about what other people thought. He was after doing the right thing. And the right thing was to be a guest in Zacchaeus's home, to bring salvation to Zacchaeus and his home, right? To be a light and a witness. That's what we're called to do despite what other people think about us when we do it. So while we're going to talk about one other story, and this story doesn't take place on, during Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, this story takes place very early on in Jesus' ministry, but it's along the same lines, and I love this story. So this one is about a man named Matthew, which I like that. Or he was also known as Levi. And he was a tax collector as well. And Jesus calls him and gets a lot of a similar response. Um, so I want to look at that. And that story, we'll just go over it. It's only a few verses. It's found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And it'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along. Or if you want to find it, I will wait for you. Thank you. We have all afternoon. I'm looking <laughs> But make sure you hold your finger in Luke and John, because we're going back there. Oh, oh nice. uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I'm hold it down. 
And you're, you're fine. So often throughout Jesus' ministry, he spent time with people who the rest of the world had written off. People who were despised. People who were known or called disreputable sinners. Um, who were looked down on. That's who Jesus spent his time with. That's who Jesus' heart was after. So if you want to know what is God's heart, what is God, um, what is his character, you can look at Jesus' life. And how did Jesus treat others? And how did Jesus live his life here on earth? And that is God's character. Jesus is God here on earth. So Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. And this is early on in his ministry, so this isn't in the same time, but this has a similar story, and I do love this story. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Well, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? That sounds pretty mean. So these are the leaders of, of the church. These are the leaders of the nation of Israel. And that's how they treat others. Well, that doesn't sound very nice at all. And obviously Jesus, Jesus' character, or God's character, does not align with them. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, he often was at odds with them. So while people become religious um, and fall into traditions, religion is often filled with lots of traditions. And these, this time these Pharisees had many, many traditions. That's not really God's heart. God's heart is for those who are lost. God's heart is for those who are hurting. And we get to see that all throughout Jesus' ministry. That's who he went after. And I always love that. So continuing on in this story, Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices. I have come to call those, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So while these people would offer sacrifices and follow all the letters of the law and have all of their traditions and everything in order, their hearts were far from God and God makes it clear to them, I'm not offering your sacrifices or your ties or your checking all the boxes, I am after your heart. And God makes it clear right here, Jesus makes it very clear, that he didn't come for those who think they are righteous, for those who think that they have it all figured out, for those who think they have a right relationship with God when their hearts are far from him. Jesus came for those who know they are sinners. And I take great comfort in that, because I know that I am a sinner. That I've sinned greatly, not just a little, but greatly. And I know that God will forgive me for every single one. And that when God forgives us for our sins, what does he say? He says he removes them from our record. He never brings it up again. And we know this, we've been over this before many times, but when we look at people in the Old Testament, like Sarah or Abraham or David, or even Lot, 
when we read about the things that they did and they were unfaithful and they sinned. But when God recounts them in the New Testament, we don't read about any of that. We only read about the righteous things they did because God keeps his word. And then when he forgives us, he removes it from our record and he never brings it up again. And here we get to see that over and over and over again, that God's heart is after those who are lost, those who don't know him, those who are hurting, those who are, have been misled, those who need a savior. And that savior is Jesus, fully God, fully man, who came down to this earth, lived a perfect life, a sinless life, who faced all the same temptations we face, who understands what we go through because he's lived our lives, but he did it perfectly. And so he gives us that example of how to live our lives, not that we'll ever be perfect, but what he can do through us when we ask him. So when we're struggling with sin or we're struggling with anger or we're struggling with different things in our life, different temptations, we can always ask God to help us and he will lead us out of those, right? And it's not a one-time thing. We went over this in the men's study. It's a continually asking God for help, continually going to him in prayer, spending time with him regularly. It's a big deal. Spending time in his word. If you want to know who God is, spend time reading his word. There's no scenario in my life, nothing that's ever happened, no scenario that's ever happened to anyone that wasn't already explained in the Bible. God doesn't already go through. It doesn't give you the directions and instructions on how to handle this situation. So, with that being said, that's Jesus' ministry. So the reason people are excited because he was after those who are lost, those who are hurting. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's pretty much everyone, right? Everyone is lost. Everyone is hurting. And that's who Jesus had a heart for. And so because he had a heart for the people, the people loved him. And they have this great celebration. But in this time, they have dual motives, you could say. Yes, they want a savior. They want a God to love them and care about them. But they also wanted a conquering king who was going to destroy Rome and free them of their oppression. And that they did not get. So, going back to our story today. So you hear the, the story Palm Sunday, and it becomes this big deal about palm branches. And, and while well, only one of the four Gospels mentions it, it seems like church tradition has overdone it, right? We've got this emphasis and focus on these palm branches, but the emphasis and focus is on Jesus and his life and his sacrifice for our sins and his love for us, that he loved us so much that he willingly went to the cross. No one forced him to. He willingly went to the cross. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He asked God, prayed, God, if there's any other way, take this cup of suffering away from me. But he ended the prayer with not my will be done, God, your will be done. So even though he didn't want to go to the cross, he willingly went because that was his father's will. So he loved us that much. And that's where the focus needs to be. So we'll look at the story now of him getting closer into town. We'll get back on these days leading up to his triumphal entry. So we'll go back to Luke chapter 19, verse 29. So as he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany, so he's still making his way. He's been through Jericho, and now he's getting to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany, making his way to Jerusalem. On the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone asks you, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So this is, when we look at all four Gospels, they all have a few different um, things that go into it. And one of the other Gospels talks about a young donkey, um, a colt with its mother, right? So the colt has never been ridden. Um, So there was two disciples that went out and they found the donkey and the young colt and they bring them both back to him. Now some accounts only say just the one donkey. Does that mean that there's a contradiction that the Bible's not correct? No, no, no. That just means that when you have four people who are looking at a situation, they all take away different points, right? They all emphasize different things. They all bring back to memory different things. So at one time in my life, I wanted to be a police officer. And so I went through training and went through testing for that. And one of the things was when you were investigating accidents, you'd ask questions. And if you had four people that saw the same accident and their story was exactly the same, you knew that something was wrong, that that was a lie. Because no one is going to recount it exactly the same. People are looking at it from different angles. Maybe this person was across the street. Maybe this person was in the car behind. Maybe this person was on a rooftop or wherever it was. They're looking at it from different angles, seeing things a little bit differently. So you were never looking for the same answers over and over again. You were looking for similar answers with a little different facts and details. And that's how you knew you were probably getting the truth. Now, if one person's story was way off from the other three, then you knew that something was wrong there. And that's what you see in the Gospels. You see the same story with a few different details, right? So there's not contradictions. This is just how it is. This is how people remembered it, and they're recounting it. And they remember it with the little different details here and there. So while one of the Gospels accounts that there was two donkeys, a donkey and its colt, and one only says there was a young donkey, both are true, right? Just because the one says there was a young donkey doesn't say there was only one donkey that got brought back. It just emphasizes the young colt that Jesus rode on, that had never been ridden before, was not broke to ride. So I don't know if you've ever been around donkeys, but they're not really, they're kind of stubborn, hard-headed. And so if they're not broke to ride, to say that you're going to jump on a young colt that's never been ridden um, would be nothing short of a miracle, right? Is that right? Is that how donkeys work? You don't know? I thought you were a horse person. I saw Candace shaking her head yes. Yeah, so... So anyway, so back to our story. So Luke chapter 19, verse 32. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. So now he's made his way through Jericho. He's made his way into Bethany and Bethpage. Um, and he tells two of his disciples to go and bring back these, this donkey and her colt. And they do. And now we'll go back to John. And we'll see what happens because this is right about the same time frame. So John chapter 12, verse 1. So at this point, he's talking about Lazarus. He's going to go into Lazarus' home. Well, a little 
time before this, Lazarus had died. And Jesus was good friends with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They were close friends. They knew each other very well. And Lazarus had gotten sick before what we're about to read. He had gotten sick. And the sisters sent news to Jesus. Jesus, our brother is sick. Come quickly. Please help us. And that's like a prayer, right? We pray and we ask God for help. God, help us. God, I need this. Or God, please do this. Or God, whatever that is. And when we read the story of Lazarus um, before now, Jesus doesn't go right away. Jesus waits. And Lazarus dies. And so it's very hard for the sisters to understand because Jesus eventually makes it there. Days later after Lazarus, four days after Lazarus died, Jesus makes it to the home. And the sisters say, well, Jesus, if you'd only been here, kind of like saying, if you'd only answered my prayer, God, this person wouldn't have died. But Jesus, God, allowed Lazarus to die so that many could come to know him. And you'll get to see that in this story um, and what we're about to read now. Because when Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead, he'd been in the grave for four days. He is clearly dead. There's no disputing that. And Jesus brings him back to life and people witness that. That became very powerful. And many people believed in Jesus after that. So why would God allow Lazarus to die? So that God could be glorified. So that many people could see Jesus really is God. There's something amazing about this person. That he really is who he says he is. Who can bring someone back from the dead? So so that has already taken place. But he's been good friends with them. So on his way into Jerusalem, he stops by their house. And that's where we'll pick up this story. So Jesus has already brought Lazarus back from the dead. Many people are still talking about it. It would have spread all throughout this region. That story would have. So here, John chapter 1, or I'm sorry, John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany. The, at, so Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared for Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made of the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with this fragrance. So here you have a picture. They're eating a meal. Oftentimes they would be on like low couches, the tables are lower, you're kind of laying down as you eat, so it wouldn't be uncommon for, for a picture kind of like this. And she's anointing, she's taking this very expensive jar of perfume, and she's anointing his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. So you kind of get a picture here of, of what that looks like, right? She recognizes who Jesus is. And I would say to you that she's been led by the Holy Spirit to do this. But not everyone was, was happy with it, as we'll continue reading in the story. So John chapter 12, verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wage. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, 
but you will not always have me. So while she does this, oh, did I get bottom? You will not always have me. No, I'm fine. I got it. I just thought the picture was good to leave up there so you have an image of what's going on. <laughs> so his one disciple who soon betrays him you know, is upset by this and not upset because he really cares for the poor, upset because he wanted to steal some of that money. We could have sold that jar and that's a lot of money, a year's wage. You know, what is a year's wage to you? Well, that's quite a bit. And I could have stolen quite a bit of money is what he's thinking. But Jesus says, we'll always have the poor, but we will not always have Jesus here on earth. And he was letting them know that he was soon, and he's made this very clear to them all the way, and I think they still struggled with understanding it, that he was going to die, he was going to be killed. So, we'll continue on. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him. Also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus raised from the dead. So all these people have heard this story that Jesus raised this man from the dead and that attracted people to Jesus. They want to see this man that came back from the dead. They want to see Jesus. So why would Jesus not answer Martha and Mary's prayer and not come right away and not save Lazarus before he died? For this very reason, so that many would come to know him. So when God is doing something, it's always for the good of those here on earth. Even though we don't understand it, he's always trying to point people to himself to open up their eyes and their hearts to who he is. So, many people are going because they want to see Jesus and Lazarus. And then we'll pick up here in verse 10. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too. So they've already decided that they're going to kill Jesus, but now they're going to kill Lazarus as well. For it was because of him that many people deserted them and believed in Jesus. So, why are these men upset? Why are these religious leaders upset? Because it was all about them. And that's oftentimes what can happen in churches or in religion. It becomes very prideful. It becomes a business. It becomes about making money and being popular and how many likes do I have. Um, and that was not Jesus' heart. But that was their heart. And their heart was far from him. And so, because of this, because people were coming to know Jesus and these these are the, the leaders that should be pointing people to Jesus. Now people are coming to know Jesus and not through their works because their hearts are far from him. Now they want to kill him. And so oftentimes, while it might not be as extreme as this, I think you have to ask yourself, when God doesn't fit my mold, when God doesn't answer my prayers the way I want, am I done with him? Do I just say, God, you're dead to me? Am I moving away from him? <laughs> well, that may sound harsh, but is that not how we treat, our, treat him in our lives? That when he doesn't fit our mold, doesn't answer our prayers, doesn't do what we want, doesn't perform the way we want, God, I want nothing to do with you. I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to worship you. I don't want to know who you are. I don't want to spend time in your word. I don't want to spend time in prayer. Somehow I haven't perceived that you have let me down. You haven't met my expectations, God instead of me learning who you are and serving you. So, we'll continue on. The next day, the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God, blessing, 
They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. And that's the important part. That's what they're after. They want a king of Israel. They want someone to remove their Roman oppression. They really, not all of them, are after a savior, after serving a God. They want a God that serves them. And that's not the way it works. God doesn't serve us. God loves us and cares for us. He's our savior. He opens the doors for us. But God does not serve us. He doesn't fit our molds. We should learn about who he is and learn to love and respect him for who he is. And who he is is a loving savior who was willing to sacrifice himself. So if I just read the Gospel of John's account, and that's all I read, then yes, I could see a picture like this, where all they have is palm branches, and they're laying them down in front of him, and it becomes this big thing. But this is why it's so important that we read through the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, because all of it's relevant, and it all points to Jesus. If I'd only read the Gospel of John, I could see this picture, and it may be true. But that's not quite the way it works. We'll continue on. So Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. So this is important. This was written long before Jesus ever lived, thousands of years before Jesus lived. In the writings, the scriptures that they had, their form of the Bible back then, that was already written. So when it happens... Don't you think that would get people's attention that this really is the Messiah? This is the God that you've been wanting all along? That he comes riding on a donkey's colt? Not on a, a big majestic white stallion, but on a donkey's colt. He comes very humbly is what he's doing. That he's a humble servant. So the God of the universe is willing to humbly serve others, not be exalted on high. So isn't that how we should live our lives? Willing to humbly serve others, but not be exalted, do it without praise, do it without people looking at us, without people liking our Instagram posts. No, not true? Okay, just, I was just wondering. So, continuing on, verse 16. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. And what is prophecy? Prophecy is a foretelling of a future event, and it's something that only God can do. God's going to tell us exactly what's going to happen in a way that only he can. But after Jesus entered his glory, so after Jesus died on the cross, he rose again three days later and then ascended into heaven, entered into his glory. Then they remembered what had happened and realized that these, these things had been written about him, about Jesus. That was John's account, and we read about the palm branches, and if we stopped there, we would have a very narrow-minded view of who God is. We wouldn't understand the full picture of what went on, right? So we'll quickly go through Luke's account. You're fine. You're doing just fine. So we'll go through Luke's account now. Chapter 19. Luke 19, verse 36. So in the Gospels, it is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Right before John. Yep, so right before John. Luke 19. Luke 19, verse 36. Yes. So Luke 19, 36. As he rode along, the crowds spread their garments on the road ahead of him. 
When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began shouting and singing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. So I think this, when I put the two stories together, this is a more accurate picture, right? I see garments being laid down. I see palm branches being laid down. When I look at the other two Gospels, they mention garments, and they also mention leafy branches. So if there were other branches besides just palm branches being laid down, I think yes, absolutely. But this is the picture. This is the fuller picture, right? So I can look at things and talk about God. And when I only look at parts of the Bible, I have a very narrow view of who God is. I have a very small window of what his character is. But when I look at the whole Bible, I have a lot deeper view, a lot wider view and understanding of who God is. Does that make sense? So why is it important for us to read all the Bible? Because we don't want to narrow God to this little channel and think this is all he is. We want to have a full understanding of who he is. So, continuing on in Luke there. So Luke 19, verse 38. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So if the people weren't going to worship Jesus as God, he said that the stones would worship Jesus as God. Do you think that God, do you think Jesus could have had the stones speak out? We've read a story in the Old Testament where God used a donkey to speak his message. Remember that? Balaam's donkey. Yes, that was a cool story. So you have this man, Balaam, and he's set off to do these things that he's not supposed to be doing. So God puts an, an angel in front, and the angel is going to destroy Balaam. And the donkey sees the angel, but Balaam doesn't. So the donkey won't go. And Balaam gets mad and starts beating his donkey. And then finally God opens the donkey's voice, and the donkey says, why are you beating me? Have I ever done anything wrong? And he says, there's, an, there's danger of it. There's an angel that's ready to kill us, and I don't want to go there. And then God opens Balaam's eyes, and Balaam sees it. So God uses a donkey to speak his message. So God could use rocks to speak his message. God could do anything he needs to to speak his message. But oftentimes, he chooses to use each one of us to speak his message, to be a light and a witness to him, right? And the best way to do that is tell people the work that Jesus has done in our lives. I was once a sinner, a sinful man in need of a Savior. And while I still am a sinner, I found that Savior in Jesus Christ. And my life is completely opposite, completely different from the way it used to be. I once walked away from God, and now I walk with Him. And my life is totally different, right? And when we are willing to tell people about that, and to talk about that, that we are being a light and a witness to him. And that's who he chooses to use. He doesn't need us. He can use creation. He can use whatever tools he needs to speak his message to others. But he chooses to use us. And do we, are we willing to be allowed? Are we willing to allow him to work through us? That's the question. And each one, that's for each one of us. We're each called to be a light and a witness to him. And when we claim to be Christians, we are a witness and the choice is, are we either a good witness or a bad witness? And over the last couple of months, I've met plenty of people who claim to be Christians who are awful witnesses. Awful. And it makes me question, do I even want to claim to be a Christian? And it almost, well, I think it does bring me to the, 
to a different term or a different way of identifying myself with God. And that is not that I'm a Christian, but I am a follower of Jesus Christ, right? Because Christians can do awful things. But if you're truly following Jesus, you shouldn't be in that realm. So, so we'll continue on. Don't worry, Kylie, we're almost done. We'll continue on with Luke 19, verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. He is Jesus. Jesus is weeping now. He began to weep. How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls, encircle you, and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept the opportunity for salvation. So Jesus begins to weep because he knows that while there is this triumphal entry and people are excited about him and, and celebrating that he's coming, he knows what's up ahead. He knows that in only a few days they will turn and do a 180 and they will murder him. That they will not accept him as Savior. They will not accept him as God. They will not accept his salvation. And this is a prophecy in himself. He's speaking prophetic words. Especially the part where it says that that the, your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. So what's about to happen years down the road is that um, the Roman Empire is going to destroy the temple. That's where they would go to worship God. Um, and the Roman Empire is going to destroy the temple, and they are going to not leave one single stone in place. And when we look at the historical accounts of that, there was a great fire, and a lot of the gold in the temple melted, and it melted into the cracks in between the stones. So they removed it stone by stone to get all of the gold that had melted. So Jesus is giving you a foretelling, a prophecy of what's going to happen right here. So that's the amazing thing about God's word, is that God's word, history, always backs up God's word, always aligns with God's word. So he's telling us this is going to happen. Um, another one of my favorite prophecies is in the Old Testament, King Cyrus. And you can look up historical accounts of King Cyrus. And God, 200 years before Cyrus was ever born, calls out Cyrus by name and says that he's going to defeat the nation of Babylon. You know, that's in the book of Isaiah. And then historical records show that that actually happened. So it's pretty amazing. Amazing how it happens. So he's weeping. Now we won't go over, we'll go over a couple things that have happened after this. So he's entered into the city. As he enters in, he weeps because he knows that they're going to turn from him. Um, and one of the first things he does in three of the gospel accounts is that he goes into the temple and he cleans it out again. So that looks something like this. So the temple where they're supposed to go and worship God would be really become a den of thieves, where they're selling, people would go to buy sacrificial animals. And you were supposed to bring an animal that was perfect, without blemish, and that was your sacrifice. And that was really taking food, literally, out of your family's mouth and giving it to God, trusting in God. And what these people would often do is say, oh, no, your sacrifice has a blemish, but I can sell you this dove, but this dove is four times what the normal value would be. And they would cheat people that way. So they're cheating people in God's own house. 
and God himself, Jesus, was not okay with that. So what did he do? When he came into Jerusalem, what's the first thing he did? He cleaned up his house and he drove these people out. He made them leave. And then what did he do? He showed up in his house every day and he taught. And he taught them many lessons. And we won't go over them all because that would take us about three hours. Yeah, that's maybe a little much. But I do want to go over one. So this is one of the parables. And Jesus oftentimes taught in parables. And what a parable is, is it's a story. So when he taught with stories, there's a reason for that. And if we want to read a story quickly and make a quick assumption of who God is, who his character is, we're oftentimes going to make the wrong decision about who he is. But when we want to look at this story that Jesus is teaching us, or any of the stories he uses to teach us, and we want to dig deeper into it and take a deeper look and a closer look into it, not make a quick decision, but a well-thought-out decision, we have a better understanding of who God is. And that's why he often taught in parables. For those that don't want to know God, you won't. You make a quick decision, you'll make the wrong decision about his character, and you won't have a relationship with him. But those who do want to know God, and you want to spend time thinking about him, looking in other areas of the Bible that relate to this, having a better understanding, that full understanding of the whole Bible and how it relates to this, then you'll have a better understanding of who God's character is, and you'll have a better relationship with God. So that's why he often taught in parables. But this one I do love, because this... Kind of, his character never changes. God's character never changes. So if you wonder who God is, oftentimes people look at the Old Testament and think, oh, he's an angry God. No, no, no. He's a very loving God. And we can explain that in the things of the Old Testament if you're willing to take the time to spend looking into it. But it's all explainable. And he's a very loving God from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. And so we get to see the same character, and that's why I like this story. This is one of the stories that he taught. It's in Matthew chapter 21. So he's cleaned out the temple. He's made his entrance into Jerusalem. They've laid down garments and leafy branches and palm branches. He gets to Jerusalem, gets to the edge, and he begins to weep because he knows that they will turn um, and they won't receive him as God and that they'll turn away from salvation and And he goes in and he cleans out the temple, right? Where people are supposed to go and learn about God. Like here, you're supposed to come and we learn about who God is. That's what they were supposed to do in the temple. They're supposed to go and worship God and learn about who he is. And that wasn't happening. It was a place for people to get rich. The church, the temple had been exchanged as a business, right? And oftentimes churches today do the same thing. They're no longer a church. They become a business. And God's not okay with that. And oftentimes... What God has called you to do will never make business sense. doesn't make dollars and cents um, decisions. God will call you to things that, that uh, are challenging, that grow your faith. Um, but you're never to run God's house like a business. And that's what these people were doing. Because when you run it like a business, it becomes about money. And now greed and um, deceit enter in. And that's never okay. So Jesus cleans up the house. Moves people out. And then what does he do? He goes and he teaches the people every day. And he teaches them stories like this. And I said, we could go on for the next three hours and go through all of the stories. But we'll just go through this one. So Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. 
The son answered, No, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, You go. And he said, Yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. So do you understand? There's a man that has two sons, and he asked the one son, Okay, I need you to go out and work in the field today. I need you to go do your chores today. And the son's like, Nope, I ain't going. And he leaves, but then later goes out and does the work. And then he has another son. He says, I need you to go out in the field and work today, do your chores today. And the other son says, yep, I'll go, but then lies and doesn't go. Goes off somewhere else, right? So you understand the this, this story, the this scenario? So then he asks, which of the two obeyed his father? And they replied, the first. Huh? You say neither? Well, they replied the first. Then Jesus explained this meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. So what is Jesus explaining here? That while people who initially didn't want to, they've known God, maybe you grew up in the church, but you've walked away from who God is, but then you've come back. God is all for that. God loves that. But for those who maybe grew up in the church and think that the church, I'm a member of the church, I'm good. I don't really need that relationship with God. I claim to be a Christian, but can live a life completely opposite of that. That's who he's talking about. That's the, the second son. Yes, I'll go. But the second son didn't go do the work, right? While the first son said no at first, like many of us have. Many of us have rejected God early on in our lives. But then eventually came around. Yes, God, I'll go do your work. And that's who he's after. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about us. We are the corrupt tax collectors, the prostitutes. Those who have gone and lived wild and crazy lives, but have come back to know God. That's who his heart is for. That's who his heart was for in his beginning of his ministry with the book of Matthew and in the story of Matthew, the tax collector who comes to know God. That's the story as he goes into Jerusalem with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. These were the, the worst of the worst sinners in society. These would be, um, I think in our society today, you have all the things that go on with transgender, especially just recently in the shooting, this, the school shooting that's happened. You have this idea that these are the, the worst of the worst people in the world. Well, these are the people that Jesus loves. And if Jesus was here today, those would be the people he would be spending time with. So when we go to treat others, we should treat them like Jesus would. And Jesus loved everyone. Jesus loves even those who refuse to love him. Even those who think they don't need him. He still loves them. And who's his heart after? His heart is after those who have strayed away but have come back. And he speaks of that many, many times. And we won't go over all the things, but this is one of the stories that he taught them in the temple in these days leading up to his death. So even as he's coming into the, the city and he knows that in only a few days he'll die, his heart is still to reach people, to reach the lost, to reach the hurting, to reach those who don't know him. So as our heart should be too. So the one thing that I take out of all of this is that God's character doesn't change. God's the same today, 
yesterday, and he'll be the same tomorrow. He's always the same. And who he is is a very loving God. A very loving God who is willing to serve us, willing to uh, sacrifice himself for each one of us. And that's who we serve. And that when we ask him into our lives, he never leaves us or abandons us. And the asking him into our lives is as simple as this. And it's just praying and asking God, I believe you are who you say you are. Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you lived a perfect life, a sinless life, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again, and that you are seated at the right hand of God. And when we believe that, then we are truly saved. So we have one last place to go, and then we're done. And that's Romans chapter 10. So Romans chapter 10, verse 9. So Romans, as we go past the Gospels, we get to John, then we have the book of Acts, then we have the book of Romans. Are you there? Romans 10, verse 9. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. So this, these verses, Romans 10, 9, and verse 10, so Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, these you should have highlighted, underlined, whatever it is you want to do in your Bible. These are some of the most important words in the entire Bible. Oh no, you just have to go there and read it. I'm sorry. These verses won't be up on the screen. If you're going to memorize any verses, these should be them. These are important. Okay. Are we ready? <laughs> yeah. So, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. These are the most important verses in all the Bible. If you want to know what does it mean to be saved, how do I ask Jesus into my life? Right here. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That your heart, believing in your heart makes you right with God. Well, the best way I can explain that is I grew up in a religious home. I grew up in a Catholic background, and I believed in my head the things of the Bible. that There was God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but it didn't change the way I live, right? My life went on. I could live my life knowing these things in my head and live a life completely opposite of God. But when I let God change my heart, and my heart change was an evidence of my life change. I once lived a life away from him and I had a change of heart and now I live a life for him. And now there's no question, no doubt that I am truly saved. And once you're saved, once you ask God into your life, he never leaves you. There's no chance you can lose your salvation because you didn't meet somebody's expectations or your own expectations or you didn't live the perfect life that Jesus lived. When we fall short, we should ask God to forgive us for our sins, and he will forgive us every time. So this is the most important part. When we believe in our minds 
when we believe in our hearts, when we confess with our mouth, and we live a life that's completely different from the life we lived before, we are saved. And that's the, the gospel message. That's what it's all about. So, with that, are there any questions? None whatsoever? Kennedy? No. You don't have any questions? That all made sense to you? She's still highlighting. Oh, you're still thinking. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. How about you try Kylie? Kylie, any questions? I never had questions. That all made sense to you? No, but I just don't have any questions. Well, what didn't make sense? This is your time to talk about it. I don't know. You don't know. She forgot. I just have yeah. a comment. What? Just a comment. This is from the beginning. Okay. You're talking about service. Um, and it's just literally, it's just a comment. So I, I always look at service as when we serve others, one, you're, you're truly serving God. Like when people need, when dad goes feed the homeless, it's serving others. And yeah, that's just kind of my comment. And a lot of times when you take, I think we were talking about, sometimes if you, because we all go through really hard times like we just did and we take the focus kind of taking the focus off of what's going on or with ourselves and, and helping somebody else out it, it definitely again a way of service to God it's just that's what that's my only comment when we talk about service yeah. I think I wrote it down for me so I can comment on it We serve others, and by serving others, we're serving God. Yeah. That's it. That was my comment. Really, really, you're serving God first. Huh? So really, you're serving God? Yes. Yeah. And Jesus made that clear. He said, you know, when you've done this for the least, of, the least, you've done this for me. When you've given them a cup of cold water, you've given it to me. And so, so yes. When you're serving others, Jesus said himself, you're serving him. And that's how you should view it. God, I'm serving you. And when you're truly seeking after a relationship with God, it should be easier to serve others and love others or to love everyone, even our enemies. Yeah, even our enemies. And we're to pray for God to bless them, pray for God to give us a heart after them. Yeah. So, anything else? No. No other questions? Do we need to talk about the loving our enemies part? No. No? You have to conversation with someone else. <laughs> oh, is that, is, that, is that too hard to have? That conversation? <laughs> loving our enemies? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely hard. Especially while they're still persecuting you or coming after you or slandering yeah. you. or Yeah. yeah. Did you and know my teacher said that if somebody is um, like pushed you once, it's not called bullying, or like hurt you once, it's not called bullying. She I'm says being mean. She says yeah. She says it's just being mean. But like I thought bullying is like. B- bu- no, the, bullying isn't no, physical abuse. It's when you like do something. If you do something rude or mean more than. Us. Yeah. 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 Ye
Just, just so you guys, just so you guys know, since you all go to the same school, the school you go to does not have a bullying policy. What is that? We don't have a policy about bullying where we don't define it. What we do have is an inappropriate behavior policy, and inappropriate behavior is not tolerated, and there's punishments for it, right? Because when you say the term bullying, then people get upset, and you've labeled somebody a certain way, and it's almost like saying, well. This is inappropriate behavior, and this is okay, but once it goes past the bullying line, now it's not. And none of it's really okay, right? It kind of goes back to like a, the, the Bible view. The Bible makes things very black and white. This is okay, this is a right way to live, and this is sin. And there's a line, and there's no gray area. It's black and white. And I love that because I'm a very black and white thinker. And it's the same thing. You know? This bullying almost makes it sound like it's acceptable. It's not. None of it's okay. It's all inappropriate. And it shouldn't be, shouldn't happen. And when inappropriate behavior happens, there should be appropriate consequences. Is boiling? Boiling. 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 And uh, teasing the same thing? Teasing. They're both inappropriate. Yeah. And they both should be punished appropriately. No, appropriately, there's appropriate punishments for appropriate <laughs> misbehavior. See, that's the problem. That's the problem when you bring a bullying, because then you think you need this harsh punishment. Well, the punishment should fit the crime. And the Bible speaks to that, too. So where can we go for our answers on anything in life? The Bible. We are doing punishments. In this house? Core. Okay. So when we don't get all of our chores done, or we don't make it to church on time... You will lose all electronics for yes. 16 years. Yes. Preach. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> all right. I think, I think we've, I think we've had. Everything. Everything. Like you're, you're, you're giving some grace to your. Yes. I, I think. Preach. Um, just Kylie's like, shush. Kylie's like, stop. Yeah. All right. All right. You love me. Yeah. Are we ready to pray? Yeah. Yeah. Dear Father, I thank you for this time. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for each one of our sins. You love us so much that you're willing to take every single one of them away. There's no sin you won't forgive in our lives. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Holy Spirit, I'm thankful for the way that you lead and guide us, the way you steer us, the way you correct us. God, I just ask you would speak to each of our hearts this week, that you would lead us and guide us through this week. You would help us to be a light and a witness to you, that we would remember all throughout this week that we represent you. You would bring healing to those who are hurting, that you would um, continue to bring healing for my mom and guidance from the doctors. You would do a miracle in Pam's life, that you would do a work that only you can do. You would bring Scott and Pam comfort with all that's going on. You would watch over Kathy. You bring healing and wisdom for the doctors. You'd watch over Christina bring healing and wisdom for the doctors. We're thankful for the healing that you brought to Bonnie. You continue to bring that healing. Watch over Joey and Matt's knees. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would 
watch over the coffee family. Your word tells us you, you, God, are the source of all comfort. And we just ask that you would comfort each one of them right where they're at. And that you would lead us and guide us in that comfort. To weep with those who are weeping. To mourn with those who are mourning. To love those who need love. Which is everyone. Lord, I ask you would continue to watch over those in the PTSD, EMDR training, counseling. That you would guide them through that. You would give them the strength and endurance to finish it through. That you would do a work in their lives that only you can do. Lord, I ask you would continue to guide and strengthen Ming. That you would lead him. I ask you would watch over our school, that you would guide and protect it. You would give each one of us the right words to speak, that you would encourage us to be in fellowship with each other throughout this week, to encourage each other in love and in good deeds, and that you would watch over us. I ask that you would watch over the sheriff's department, the police departments, that you would protect them physically, but also protect them spiritually. Don't let the enemy deceive them um, or lie to them. They are on the front of this very intense spiritual battle. I ask you to protect their families from it as well. I ask you would guide us to a church that we could come alongside. That you would open the doors and just make it very clear to us what that is. It's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. We pray all these things. Amen. Amen.